Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Rock Hill. It's good to be with family. It's good to be with you today. I'm glad, I'm humbled, I'm honored that I get to continue on with our series through John in John chapter 1, verse 19 through 28 today. Um, I hope you got to join us in church at home last week. I know Scout and I really enjoyed it and hope that we have more of those in the future. It was an intimate setting that we got to, to go to Brian and Katie's house and it was just a true joy. So I hope that you guys got the chance to partake in that last week. This morning's message, um, the text that we're going to go through is going to raise the question, who is John the Baptist and why does that matter? Or perhaps more fitting to the Gospel of John, who is John the witness, and why does that matter? To be sure, our text will talk about him baptizing, and he's well known for that, but John speaks of him as a witness over and over. I don't know how I'm going to convince you that this man from 2,000 years ago is an important figure when there's pressing issues going on today. Ukraine's being attacked by Russia, a global pandemic of two years is just winding down, and the daily grind of all of your lives, no doubt, goes on and on. But I, my aim is that you would think by the end of this that John was an important figure, and um, yeah, the scriptures tell us about John. They said that he was a man who was the son of a priest. He drew crowds from all over the Judean countryside and Jerusalem. And according to Jesus himself, as far as those born of a woman, there was none greater than John to that point in history. That's a really shocking statement when you consider the patriarchs, the kings, and the prophets. That is, John the witness was greater than Abraham or Moses. He was greater than David or Solomon. He was greater than Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah. John the Baptist was the greatest man born of a woman to his point in history, according to our Savior. But what made him so great? Let's take one step further back. What makes any man great? How do we live a life of greatness? How do we live the good life? I imagine most of you don't wake up and ask, how can I live the most mediocre life possible? I don't know about you, but I yearn for the life of greatness. I learned I yearn to live a good life. It's a particularly pressing question as I think about my son being formed in Scout's womb right now. How am I going to teach him to live the good life? How am I going to teach him to live in the ways of the kingdom? It's a particularly pressing question for me as my mom's mom went to be with the Lord yesterday afternoon. As I reflect on her life, I think, what makes a life great? What makes a life worthy of living? Today, I hope to answer that question. So John, he was a man, like I said, son of a priest, drew crowds, and even was the greatest man ever born of a woman. But John, the disciple who wrote the book that we're going to go through today, didn't find it necessary to mention any of those details. No, he was writing for a different purpose. He was writing so that you might believe. 
and that by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, you would have life in his name. And although he's writing for a different purpose, he's still going to ask us that question, who is John? And why does he matter? The text has much to say, so let's dive in. I'm going to read through it once and then go back through it verse by verse. So here we go. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Join me in prayer. Father, today we will see how John's denials, his affirmations, and his humility all point to you. We'll see how John does all he can to make much of one man. I pray that his example and his life would challenge us. I pray that we would not stay the same. I pray that you would sanctify us through and through. God, be with us every step this morning. Be with me and help me to explain this clearly. If you don't go, I don't want to go. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right. Now this was John's testimony. I'll begin by noting that this section or this section of scripture that we're going through is connected to the prologue. Some translations say and this was John's testimony. That and is meant to connect it to what came before. Often we see the prologue, the first 18 verses of John as the standalone masterpiece. But John won't, let it, John won't let us do that. He sees a thought flowing from the first 18 verses into this section. The way John was described in verses 6 through 8 will inform how we understand John living his life in our section. So here we go, John, chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. To quote Brian from a few weeks ago, there was a knot to his witness. We'll see John the Baptist is going to tell us, I am not the Messiah. He was not the light. But there's also going to be a positive to his witness. He's going to point us to the light. He said, I'm a voice calling out in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. I'm here for one purpose, and it's to prepare the way for his coming. 
Verse 8 is a great example of John giving us clue after clue about how to understand what he's saying. So, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Apparently John had got the attention of the religious leaders in that day. Jerusalem could ignore him no longer. He was drawing crowds from all across the Judean countryside. And he was baptizing. That was something that they didn't like. So they sent a delegation to go find out who this man was. Who is John the Baptist? Why is he causing a ruckus? We don't know him. We haven't sanctioned his authority. Go find out who he is. They sent the priests and Levites, the experts in the law and in ceremonial rites, because John was baptizing. They would be the ones who would know whether he was doing something that was good or something that they didn't like. So it goes on and says this, He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. I can't think of a more emphatic way to say something. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. Perhaps if you threw an exclamation mark, and I think there should be one there. I'm not the Messiah. We don't know whether they asked, who are you, or whether they asked, are you the Messiah? But one thing was clear in John's mind, and he wanted to make one thing clear to them. I am not that man. I'm not the one you've hoped for. I'm not the long-awaited king and Messiah. I find it interesting that he, the three words that define John the Baptist's identity, I am not, are contrasted with the words that Jesus reveals his identity with all throughout this gospel, I am. John says, I am not. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I don't know if that was on purpose, but I respect John the disciple enough to know that it probably wasn't on accident. John says, I'm not the Messiah. So the delegation tries another one. They, they take another swing and they ask, then who are you? Are you, the, are you Elijah? If, they, if he wasn't the Messiah, they didn't know what to make of him. What are we supposed to make of this man who's eating roaches and wild honey in the middle of the wilderness? The guy has no political power. He has no riches. He has no formal education as far as we're concerned. But the crowds came to him. He should have been a nobody. He should have been insignificant, but Jerusalem could ignore him no longer. Are you Elijah? But why would he ask, are you Elijah? What did that have to do with anything? Well, it had been 400 years since they had got any new scriptures. In the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, second to last verse says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Elijah was to come before the coming of the kingdom. Maybe if you're not the Messiah, the king, the anointed king from the line of David who we've been expecting, maybe you're the forerunner. Maybe you're the one who's going to come before him, before the coming of the king and his kingdom. John says this, I am not. What an interesting statement when you've read the other three Gospels, because in fact Jesus says this, if you can accept it, John is the Elijah who was to come. So what is it? Is he Elijah or is he not? Luke brings some clarity. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. 
And he was, in some sense, Elijah. But to the Pharisees, the priests, and the Levites' questions, he could not answer yes. Perhaps John didn't have the self-understanding that Jesus assigned to him. Or perhaps the priests and the Levites thought that he was Elijah reincarnate, for Elijah never died. He was taken in a whirlwind. Maybe this is Elijah returned. To that, the answer was an obvious no. Did he fulfill the function and the office of Elijah? Yes. They take their final stab. Are you the prophet? Notice they didn't say, are you a prophet? They said, are you the prophet? They had a specific character in mind. Again, we turn back in the scriptures to see who they're talking about. Deuteronomy 18:15 says this, The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So that God would raise up a prophet like Moses. God would raise up a prophet that they must listen to. Are you this man, John? Is that who you are? No. That's not who I am. Was that prophet probably Jesus? I think so. Think about the transfiguration. They're up on the mountain. And the Father speaks from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. The same words. John says, no, it's not me. And his three denials all point to Jesus. You'll soon see that John does everything he can to make much of this one man. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? If you're not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, who are you? This is an important mission. We've been sent by Jerusalem in case you forgot. I don't want to go home and tell my wife I failed the council. I don't want to go home and be demoted because I don't have an answer to bring to them. Give us something. And they raise the question of our text, who is John? What is his significance? Why does this man matter? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John says, I'm a voice. I'm not one of these three important figures that you thought. I'm just a voice, but a voice with a purpose, a voice preparing the way for the king and his kingdom. Make straight the way for the Lord. Imagine a man in the middle of the wilderness yelling to anyone and everyone who would listen. Make straight, make plain, bring the mountains low, fill the valleys up high, build bridges over the water, make a way for the coming of the Lord. But he's not talking about land, he's talking about our hearts. He says, make straight a way for the Lord. The king and his kingdom are coming and you're not ready. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's so near. Let me tell you how near it is. The axe is at the root of the tree. One more swing and the pruning is accomplished. Let me tell you how near the kingdom is. The winnowing fork is in his hand. One toss in the air and the wheat and the chaff are separated. The king and his kingdom are so near and you're not ready. Make straight the way for the Lord. 
prepare your hearts. The king did, in fact, come. Jesus came in the flesh. He died for our sins, and he was raised again. He ascended into heaven, but he is coming back, and he's coming again. Be ready. Be ready. If you have never become a child of God, if you've never entered as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, if you have never believed and so received the life that is truly life, I tell you today, do not wait. Make straight the way for the Lord. Repent and believe. That's why John was in the middle of the wilderness crying out. He says, my life is for this purpose and this purpose alone. I testify, pointing to this man, Jesus, so that you would believe. John wrote this gospel for the same purpose. John the disciple, he wrote saying, I wrote that you may believe he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. And I stand before you today bearing witness to what happened thousands of years ago for this very purpose that you would believe. If you have not done so, don't wait. Make straight a way for the Lord. We move forward and it says this, Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Excuse me. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? In other words, who do you think you are? What makes you think you have the authority to be out here baptizing? In case you forgot, we're the ones sent from Jerusalem. In case you forgot, we're the ones who have authority. I just imagine John, the witness's thoughts being like, in fact, I do have authority. If you remember verse 6, he was a man sent from God. I have authority to be where I am. You've been sent by man. I've been sent by God. But he didn't care about defending his name. No. His reaction was different. I, I do baptize. Like you in fact have said. And this occurrence would be the first of the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God colliding. We'll see it over and over throughout this gospel of John. Now they collide with someone sent from God. Soon they will collide with the son of God himself. The Pharisees will debate things like Sabbath, the divinity of Jesus. What's the difference between right and wrong? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of men colliding. But like I said, John doesn't care about defending his name. He says this, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not understand it. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. You have been asking me, John the witness, who am I? And you're asking the wrong man. The king is standing in your midst and you don't even recognize him. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This isn't the first time we've seen this phrase, he is the one who comes after me. If you look over at verse 15, it says, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
This was the incarnate word, and it's out of his fullness that we receive grace upon grace. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I wish you guys would ask the right question. Yes, it matters who is John, but the king is in your midst, and you're not asking who is he. John says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. In those days, a rabbi could ask of his students anything a master could ask a slave, unless it had to do with matters of the feet. A master could ask only a Gentile servant. They couldn't ask a Jew to do anything with their feet. And they could only ask the Gentile servant if he was the lowest of the Gentile servants in the household. And John says, not even that. You don't get it. You don't understand his worth, his value. I wish that I could describe and exalt him the way he deserves it. You don't get it. I'm not even worthy to be the lowest servant. Jesus is so worthy. Jesus is so worthy. And this comes from the mouth of the greatest man to ever live at his point in history. But the second half of that verse is, he who is least in the kingdom of God will be greater than John the Baptist. So you want to live the great life Live a life that points to Jesus in all you do. John, in his denials and his affirmations and his humility, pointed to Jesus. But even greater than that is life in the kingdom. Even greater than that is becoming a family member, becoming a child of God. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you want to live the great life, live life with Jesus. Jesus is so worthy. He does all he can to show you his love. He came from heaven to earth, and John says, was that not enough? He came to you, and you didn't recognize him. What more do you want? But this passage reminds me of chapter 13. Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. They're about to have a meal. And I imagine there's this awkward moment where the disciples are looking around at each other's feet and they're like, yeah, we're dirty. We can't eat until we have the meal because they ate on the floor. Who's going to wash our feet? There's no Gentile servant here. So Jesus puts a towel around his waist. And he kneels down. And the king of the kingdom, worthy of all honor and glory and praise, begins to wash their feet as the lowest servant. To what lengths, to what depths will he go to show you his love? If you do not see his worth, I wish I could describe it. If you do not see his worth, I ask you to ponder it still. Our passage today has been about who is John and why does he matter? He matters because he's the forerunner. He matters because he's pointing us to Jesus. 
but John refuses to let the message be about him. You're asking the wrong question. Who is Jesus? Why does he matter? I imagine many of you in the room know who Jesus is. To you, my challenge is, like John, do all you can to make much of this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, or like John, go into your workplace, go into your neighborhood, and bear witness. Simply testify to what you have seen and heard. Speak about what God has done in your life. God has given me peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of my grandmother's death. I can stand before you and proclaim the glory of the Lord because of his sustaining power. To that, I bear witness. I'm watching a miracle happen before my eyes every day. I saw the sonogram of my son. God is bringing life where there was not. To this, I testify to what I've seen and heard. For those of you who do not know Jesus, I challenge you to finish this book. John wrote this book so that you would know who he was. If that's too big a task, I ask you, read the rest of chapter 1. You'll learn seven titles of Jesus. John will go, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was out there baptizing because people were unclean. And they needed to repent. But it's not the water that makes people clean. It's the blood of Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You find out that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's the King of Israel. He's the one that Moses wrote about and the prophets foretold. He's the long-awaited Messiah, the King of Israel, who will bring the kingdom of God. If you do not know who Jesus is, finish the chapter, finish the book. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your affections, and he's worthy of your life. I'm going to invite the band to come up as I pray. Thank you for your time today. Father God, I thank you for your word. I pray that as a community we would love your word and we would love each other, that we would love our neighbor. But most of all, I pray that we would love you. God, I pray that we would see your worth I pray that you would bring dead hearts to life today. God, I thank you for this moment. I pray that we would be your witnesses, that we would be salt and light, pointing to the true light. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.